We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have like a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. fans how you doing it's your boy john of the macri with you for another episode of the Knicks film school podcast coming at you in the middle of the week uh as we are sticking to our monday wednesday friday release schedule um we are nothing if not a, a bastion of consistency uh so uh, before i get to my guest today, uh, who I recorded with um, a little bit earlier today, I'm, I'm actually doing this on a Tuesday, a little bit before the jazz game starts. Um, well, first, I guess I should say who that guest is. John Schmelk, you know him from WFAN. You've probably listened to the Bank Shot podcast where he talks about the Knicks. You've certainly heard his Giants coverage, uh, if you're a football fan at all. Uh, we had a really great conversation about a lot of different stuff, so uh, stay tuned for that. But, uh, yes, public service announcement. So I think the last couple, uh, games or episodes that we've released, uh, after a, a game night, uh, we've tacked on, or I should say my producer, Andrew Claudio, uh, has stayed up until the, the wee hours of the morning to tack on my post game thoughts onto the podcast. Um, we are no longer going to do that, but instead release those post game thoughts as their own podcast. So, uh, this episode here is, is just going to be my conversation with John. And then, uh, if all goes according to plan, which hopefully it will, uh, my post game thoughts from Nick's jazz should appear on your podcast stream i guess wherever wherever you get your pods um also sometime uh tomorrow so you'll be able to catch all those and of course if you prefer to uh just check out those thoughts on our youtube channel 
Nick's Film School YouTube, uh, feel free to to do that as well. I think that's it. Oh, one other thing. Um, I am, like I said, recording this Tuesday before the jazz game. Uh, we did get a little bit of news or a rumor, I guess I should say, uh, of, about an hour ago from Mr. Shams Sharanya saying that uh, the Knicks and I believe the Clippers were interested in some way, shape or form. In uh, Derek Rose, old friend Derek Rose, not only an old friend of the New York Knicks, but obviously an old friend of Tom Thibodeau, coached him in Chicago and in Minnesota. Uh, I had heard Rose's name mentioned last week to me as one of several guys the Knicks were keeping tabs on. Um, I here's here's my my thing. I know, and let me speak from experience. Anyone who hears the name Derek Rose and gets some sort of like visceral, involuntary, convulsive reaction where you just, you know, you want to go into the medicine cabinet and be like, I need something for this. This is going to impede my ability to function like a normal human today. Um, I hear you because as I've said many times, Derek Rose is the Nick who has frustrated me the most in his time here after, of course, you know, the, the only king of that throne, uh, in his canter. But Derek Rose was close. And, um, that's because he came here and I mean, th- they had a nice start to the season, but talk about a guy just mailing in the last, I don't know, 40, 50 games of the year. Um, especially on defense where, the things that were done in terms of uh, point of attack defense, navigating screens or, or not navigating screens as it were. I mean, those were, those were just crimes against humanity and it was really frustrating and I could not wait to get Derek Rose out of town. I, I wasn't really a fan of that trade to begin with. Um, and now there's a chance that he's back. And I think whether he's back or not will probably determine or be determined as much by what the Pistons asking price is um, as it will, you know, anything the Knicks want to do because, or the Knicks level of interest, I should say, because I think the Knicks are looking at the rest of this season or at least the, the part portion of the season until the trade deadline as how can we make the best use of our cap space? And they have still $17 million to spend, um, which is not nothing. It is by far the most in the league that anybody has. And I think they're just waiting for the opportunity for a team to be like, you know what? I'd rather not pay player X's salary. Let me dump him for, you know, something. And in my uh, newsletter today, uh, I'm going to mention a couple of the other names that I heard. So so check that out. Um, you know, but I think they're keeping tabs on different players. And I think for them, it's, yeah, they have a couple of, of positions that they're interested in more than others. And I think, um, you know, I, I don't expect them to go after any any fours for sure. Um, so I think these are more, you know, perimeter players, although I did hear the name of one one center in particular that I'm kind of hoping um, is not true. But at the same time, it wouldn't surprise me uh, anyway. Derek Rose is a, is a guy that could come in and probably help them. I think he, he's been, he hasn't been good this year. By any stretch of the imagination, he has very clear faults, but he is um, a guy who last season, at least, was, I think, arguably, 
his most efficient self that he's ever been. And that includes his MVP year. Um, and there was, I remember some interest in him around the trade deadline of last season and the Pistons didn't pull the trigger. I would imagine because their asking price at the time was very high. Um, I, I would think that that asking price has gone down. That said, if you're like, I don't care what the asking price is. I don't want Derek Rose on this basketball team. Again, you're not going to catch any flack from me uh, because <laughs> again, we have eyes and uh, memories. So this is not the, the road that I hope the Knicks go down um, for as much as he, you know, the, the best version of him might be five or 10% better than Alfred Payton. I'm not really sure that that's worth it, um, but we'll see what they do. I, this is, this is, I saw a lot of Knicks fans going crazy on Twitter about this one. I, I wouldn't lose my mind over it just yet. Um, and I think the most important thing to take from it is that they're just, I think they're kicking a lot of tires right now and seeing what, uh, or, or maybe the better analogy would be shaking a lot of trees. Yeah, I think that's better. They're shaking a lot of trees and seeing what shakes loose. And, um, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll go from there. That's, that's my, that's my read of the situation at least. Anyway, um, more than enough about Derek Rose. Uh, again, check your feed for the post game, uh, which will be dropping at some point soon uh and let us get to my very entertaining conversation with wfan's john schmelk joining me now on the Knicks film school podcast uh i have i'm honored to have been a guest on his podcast many times yet for some reason this is the first time he's joining me uh probably because i never got around to asking him until now (laughs) well it's about darn time um you have heard him all over the place you've heard him on wfan you have obviously heard his uh giants coverage and uh as pertains to what we're talking about today his knicks coverage with the bank shot podcast uh very very pleased to welcome to the show john schmelk john how are you my man Macri, what's going on, man? The eternal optimist. I'm happy to be with you. I'm afraid I'm going to annoy some of your fans today, but we'll see how that goes. <laughs> I remember way back when before, you know, I, I started doing more of this stuff and we would just interact on Twitter. We would always butt heads because you would be the you know Debbie Downer and I'd be like, no, things are fine. And you turn John, it's be- called being a realist. First of all, it's not a Debbie Downer. It's called being a realist. Is this true? <laughs> no, but you were. Listen, you were you were dead right, because I think back then it was still it was the Mills regime. Right. When we first started going back and forth. And uh, I think I was trying to talk myself into as much as talk other people into the fact that, like, no, these guys, it may seem like they don't know what they're doing, but clearly they run a basketball team. They must know what they're doing. Right. <laughs> Apparently not the case. I think we've all learned, John, just because you get a job doesn't mean that you're good at it. <laughs> it doesn't matter what the job is. <laughs> and we could have a whole nother podcast about that, but we won't do that today. Maybe next time. Um, so let's uh, zoom out for a second. Um, we are coming up. My goodness. I didn't even realize this when I asked you to come on. We're coming up on a year since I think. Uh, Mills was fired. It was what? February feels like fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, something like that. Right. Yeah. Give or take. Um, yeah. And almost immediately Leon Rose was rumored um, to uh, have the job and it became official, I think, in early March. Um, just looking back at the last year as someone who is a, a, a realist, um, how would you say that things have gone big picture wise? I'm very happy. Uh, I think Leon Rose has proven that he's pretty competent, to be quite honest with you. Uh, I loved all the front office hires that he made, 
including the head coach. He was not my first choice. I like Kenny Atkinson, but I think you can't argue with the results. And Thibodeau is my number two guy. So I was always fine with that. Um, I think, you know, the Walt Perrins of the world, the guys they hired in scouting, all those guys, Zanin, they are guys that have been around the league for a long time and are highly respected. They're not, you know, legacy hires or friend hires. Like, say what you want. You know, Craig Robinson, we know his connections on the planet Earth and who he knows. That's great. But what the hell do you know about basketball development besides the fact that he was friends with Steve Mills, right? So there are things like that where I feel like Rose is on the right path. Um, he seems to be trust trusting Brock Aller the way they did free agency. They didn't do anything stupid, which is really before you do anything good, you have to not do anything stupid. They did that. And I, I think you have to be pretty optimistic. I know people were a little concerned at the draft that, you know, CAA guys, Kentucky guys, that's fine. I always looked at that two ways. And my thing was always, look, in a year where you don't have in-person workouts, no, well, very limited in-person meetings, you want to pick guys that you have the most intel on, right? So we're going to find out. Uh, it's pretty obvious already that Emmanuel quickly was not a, you know, um, pick that they made just because he's from Kentucky. The kid can play. We'll see yeah. about Obi Toppin, but I never had a huge issue with that. So I think big picture wise, I think you have to be pretty happy with the job Leon Rose has done. But and I think you'll agree with this, John, we're not going to know for sure about how good he is and how this staff is until they make that first big move, whether it's a trade up in the draft, a trade for a star, something like that. That's when we're really going to know uh, how these guys see players, see the league and how they want to try to take that next step. It's, it's funny you bring that up. Um, and I want to actually go back to something else you said in a minute. But first, let's stick with this. Um, I remember the day that Gordon Hayward uh, signed with Charlotte uh, for four years, 120 million, which I think we could all agree that that was not the big move that uh, the Knicks needed to make. Me and JB were going back and forth via text, as we occasionally do. We're still fans, first and foremost, even with all the content that we produce. And he was trying to make the point to me because he, he talked about you're uh, the realist. He's the contrarian. So while everybody is praising Leon Rose and the Knicks for not doing anything stupid, he, his point was that, well, they're kind of getting praise for just being a normal, like, you know, being a normal franchise, like not doing the stupid thing. And they haven't really yet shown us that they have, as you just said, been able to not only make a big swing, but have it be a smart swing and a timely swing um, and a swing that, you know, alternates the proper amount of risk versus reward. And it's just, it's interesting to me because now I think every, I agree completely with you a year on the job. I'm thrilled with what he's done because what are we comparing it to? Mostly the previous 20 years, um, most of which have not been great. So I, I almost wonder at what point, and you've covered New York sports more than anyone in this town for a very long time. At what point do you think fans, uh, I don't know if it was the average fan, maybe Twitter fans, like whatever fans, will start to be like, okay, um, let, you know, let's look at the old watch here. What, what's, when, when, when is it going to happen? Good question. You know, and this is the point I always made too back in the Mills regime where people were kind of happy with the job Mills was doing. And they're like, oh, well, look at all these assets he's acquired. And my point was always, guys, it's easy to, you know, tear something down and get picks. It's like, we're going to trade our best player and get two picks. All right, great. That That's not hard, guys. Like, it's not like that's the easy thing. Hey, Dennis Smith, Dennis Smith Jr. I don't know if you saw he was putting up some dunks on the on the uh, practice court in Utah. 
Um, very nice dunks. I'm sure it'll help him in, in game situations. Hey, John, so I'm not sure you heard, but he's reworked his jump shot and he's had the best yes. offseason of his life, by the way. It's lost some amazing. Lost and 10 I'm, pounds. It's fantastic. <laughs> he's doing great. Um, I think you're going to start. Well, I guess depending on how this year goes and we're going to have that conversation, too, I'm sure. I think you'll start hearing some noise this offseason in terms of are they going to use that cap space? You know, I think fans are now getting a little out. So getting optimistic, I think a little overly optimistic. And I think the expectations are going up because of who the coach is, how they're playing, all that sort of stuff. So uh, I think you're going to start seeing that now, to be quite honest with you, um, even at the trade deadline this year. I think there's a group of fans. I don't think the smart ones, but I think there's a group of fans that want them to try to trade for a Buddy Heald or someone like that to just add some shooting to let the, yeah, that's my reaction too, to see if these fans could, you know, see if the team can add some shooting and try to make like a little run this year, maybe get like the sixth seed or something like that. Now, I don't think they're going to do that, but I do think as Julius Randle shows that maybe he is a, a, a number two on a good team and maybe RJ Barrett keeps shooting the way he is. We'll see. You know, they want to add, you know, some fans want to add pieces now. They don't want to wait. Remember, fans in the offseason want to trade. There's a, a vocal minority of fans that want to trade for Russell Westbrook this offseason. They were so impatient. So I, I remember it well. Though Those fans are going to be loud again, man. It's just kind of the way it is. And I think a lot, not a lot of people follow as closely as we do. This is what I've learned. We cater to the hardcore fans, right? The yeah. fans on Twitter that constantly comment about the Knicks of the hardcore fans. That's maybe 15%, 20% of the fan base. I always wonder what percent. I, I'm like, is it 10, 15, 20%? It's, it's low. It's very, very low. And I think you're going to take a look at this now and all these casual fans that are just concerned with, oh, is the team finally going to win games? And that's the group that's going to start getting vocal. And if the team stinks, they're going to tune it out. They're not going to care about them. But as the team improves and people start paying attention more, they're going to tune in a little bit and they're going to start be like, all right, well, we need to make a move. I'm going to give you a quote. This is from a, a, a political reporter that I follow. But Please this do. is something and this is it, but it, but it's not politics related. It's Twitter related. OK, this is, this is the quote. Let's not forget. Pew Research found that of the fewer than 50 million U.S. adults on Twitter, only 6% of those Twitter user accounts account for 73% of the tweets. <sighs> and, and, and that's about politics. So I'm sure sports is smaller than that. That yeah. means fewer than 1% of Americans are frequently weighing in about politics on this platform. And you can imagine that's a much smaller percentage for sports. So that's so when you don't judge the fan base solely by Twitter, because it's never going to be accurate. Yeah, that's it, really well put and, and wisely pointed out. I so here's the question that, again, I'm, I'm kind of just going off of what you're saying. Here's a question that I have, because I think there's two conversations that the front office could potentially be having. One is and this is the thing I think that I was most concerned about and what I hoped that they were most concerned about all offseason. We just need to not be a laughing stock anymore. We need to avoid the 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 daily or or you know weekly whatever segments on, you know, the jump where Rachel Nichols and whoever else is like, hey, let's see what stupid thing the Knicks do, or, or let's try to make it out like the Knicks may be doing something stupid. LOL um, Knicks. That, you got to avoid yeah, that. No, it, it's, it's LOL Knicks, right? Yeah. So let's let's make sure we're not that butt of of jokes anymore. And I think thus and then this could always change. Right. It only, it only takes one five game losing streak. And, uh, you know, rumored, uh, you know, players are starting to grumble about tips, this and that it only takes one. Right. For now, they've escaped that. The other part of it, and I think this is what you just mentioned, is, okay, um, 
in the NBA, the best path to winning is winning. And there, I think there is a line of thought that not necessarily going out and making a foolish trade, right? Like if they went and traded uh, again, not that they would do this, but like traded Emmanuel quickly for Buddy Heald or something like that. Again, that's a ridiculous example because they're not going to do that. But like the type of trade that like, I feel like, you know, we, we heard rumored that some within the last front office wanted to do like, let's go get D'Angelo Russell. Right. Um, I think there's dumb things, but then there's, buy low opportunities, which is, I think, what they did this offseason. And maybe there may be a buy low opportunity because they have all this cap space um, before the trade deadline that does improve them, does maybe give them a better chance to make a run for the playoffs. That And that obviously takes away from the you know possibility or higher possibility of tanking for a better pick at the end of the season. That second question is the one that I'm wondering where their mindset is. And I know, I know you, we've talked about this before. So where, if they, let's say could get a, just throwing a name out there, like a Victor Oladipo for something that was not a lot, right? Like a, like a Frank Nilakina or a Dennis Smith Jr. And like, you know, a couple of seconds, I don't think that's going to be possible just for argument's sake. Let's say it was, what would you, what would you say about that? Hmm. If it's that little and you're looking at like two twos and a Dennis Smith jr. To get the upper hand on signing somebody like Oladipo after the season. Yeah. I'd be, I'd be willing to do something like that. I was talking, I had um, Seth part now on the show and I okay. asked him um, how he thinks the Knicks could best use their cap space at the trade deadline. And he made the point that he thinks the maybe the best way the Knicks can go about this this year is to get a um, go, you know, kind of get ahead of free agency a little bit. So acquire a player now that's at the level of a player you could have gotten in free agency, but get them now. You know, maybe a team is trying to dump a $12 million a year player because they want to clear cap space or, yeah. you know, save money on their salary, whatever. You get that player now and you're not getting him for this year per se, but you're getting him to help the team in future years. So, yeah, I'd be okay with that. I would not be willing to trade for a player that's a free agent after the season and give up a first round pick. That I would not be willing to do. But I think if you're getting someone that can help you long term and you're not giving up something of tremendous value i'd be willing to do something like that yeah no i i'm i'm with you um i, I and i think look and there's like where's the line right like if you could if you could trade that that there's that 2023 dallas pick which again what look at what's going maybe dallas isn't the given that i know i profess them to be you know who knows i i think there's again potentially dicey questions but i think in general i agree with you i want to go back to something you said a minute ago because you were talking about uh connections and CAA and the whole thing you've covered the giants for a very long time as, as deeply as anyone. And I feel like in football, especially there's this idea like the whole, the locker room culture aspect of it, or like who you bring into your community. Maybe there's more made of it in football than there is in basketball. I, I wonder if there's something what are your thoughts on that generally, basically from, you know, covering all the sports that you've covered over over the years? I think it matters a lot more than the snarky analytics people say it does, but I'm not sure it matters quite as much as the people that hate the snarky analytic guys think it does. But I, I do think that it there is a difference when you have certain guys in the locker room. And I do think football is different than basketball, right? Because football is a sport where guys are literally putting their bodies on the line every time they go out there and you're risking life and limb every time you play a game and you really need guys to go do everything, every play and go all out every play. And 
part of that is the culture and getting them to go out and do that. And, you know, if you're on, if you're a weak side defender, are you willing to run all the way across the field to be in position on the 3% chance or running back breaks three tackles? Yeah. Well, you need to be able to, you need to do that in the NBA. It's not, it's not the same thing. you got guys jogging up the floor, you know, every other possession and, and that's fine. You, yeah. you can get away with that more. Maybe you shouldn't, but, Guys do it and it's fine. Look, I mean, James Harden, he doesn't have the ball, stands in one place for literally 18 consecutive seconds. So, I mean, if guys did that in the NFL, they get eviscerated by their coaches. It just doesn't work that way. So I do think it matters. I do think, you know, having that all in team attitude and having the right work ethic does count. I think we're seeing the Tom Brady effect down in Tampa where they see, you know, you they kind of see how he works and they emulate that his professionalism. I do. I do think that's a thing in, in some way, shape or form. I just wonder because, you know, you have these these teams and like I, I think Miami's as good as an example of it as anyone. Toronto or Tampa, I guess I should say now. So weird. Um, <laughs> you know, that yeah, the Spurs obviously have done it a certain way for a very long time. Um, I And, you know, other organizations clearly don't. And the Knicks have, have not. I, I just I wonder because we've we've heard. Tibbs talk repeatedly as we're as we were waiting for Obi Toppin to, to come back um, about the type of people that quickly and Toppin were and like their the conditioning and like their character and their work ethic and all that stuff. I don't know. I just something I've, I've been thinking about. And I wanted to ask you because I know you cover football and I know that that's a big deal in football. But well, John, let me ask you something. Do you think that Julius Randle's mindset changes offseason. Do you think that like Quickly's mindset and how he approaches the game is better than Dennis Smith Jr.'s? If your question, if your answers to those questions are yes, I think it shows that stuff is kind of important, right? Yeah, no, I, and I think it is not. But again, there's a line because your your roster is so much smaller in, in the NBA, and premium talent is. I mean, look at what the Nets did, right? They they had all the culture in the world, and they, you know. If you can get a guy, Bill Parcells coached Terrell Owens. If it's a star, you can figure things out. That's a good call. That's a good call. Uh, He was, he was in fairness though. He was, he was maniacal about his fitness and work ethic and all that stuff. T.O. tried hard. He was just a lunatic. (laughs) Right. I mean, that got me. Yes. He was a lunatic. Uh, I mean, why you don't do uh, sit-ups in your driveway. Uh, Shirtless, of course. Yeah, every day. Those were the days. Um, okay, let's talk about this team. Um, <laughs> I'm optimistic about it. You're optimistic about it. They're eight and ten. I think in no universe would I have ever thought to predict that they would be eight and ten nope. after eighteen games. Um, that said, you know we're New Yorkers. We we like to gripe. Um, give me your biggest gripe about the team so far. I'm going to go in this direction, and maybe you can help me. Um, I'm having trouble completely buying in here, John. Um, I want to. I know they're better than they were the last couple of years, mm. but I am not yet convinced that they're closer to being the eighth seed than they're closer to being a top five lottery team. I'm not there yet. You know, we kind of go back and forth on, on, on DM on Twitter sometimes, and they're still one of the three worst offensive teams in the league. Mm. It's really hard to be one of the three worst offensive teams in the league and be a eight seed. It's just really, really hard in the modern day NBA. In fact, I would almost say it's impossible. So then you go to the second half of this and while their defensive effort is a lot better and they are certainly a lot better than they were in past years, I'm still not sure that this team is a top five or six defensive team. Now I think they're probably right around the middle of the league. You know, I think 
if everything goes the way I think it'll go, they'll finish somewhere between like 12 and 15 in, in defensive rating, something like that, which is great. I would have signed up for that before the season. Great. Sign, I, think all, I think we all would have. Yeah, absolutely. But if you're the 28th offensive team and the 15th defensive team, do you think you're closer to being the, you know, 12th worst team in the league or the fifth worst team in the league. I think you're closer to being the fifth worst team in the league. Right. So that's kind of where I'm at. And I think all the deep scars of watching this franchise over the past 15 years is making it difficult for me to buy in because John, I want nothing more than to sit there and be like, Oh, win every game, make a playoff run. This is great. I want to, you know, root hard. I do this stuff for fun. This isn't my full-time job. I love the Knicks. I want them to win. So I would love nothing more than to do that. But part of me sitting there, I'm like, Guys, we know they're not better than the Bucs. We know they're not better than Boston. They just have and Indiana. They just happen to miss a million three-point shots. So part of me wants to say the worst thing that can happen is this is this team winning a bunch of games they shouldn't just because other teams are shooting poorly. So at the end of the year, we have an overinflated opinion of how good they are. They get a worse draft pick. And then next year when the shooting normalizes, we're back where we started. That's what I'm fighting inside myself every time I watch this team play. Can you help me? <laughs> well, it <laughs> I, I'm going to try. Um, well, for, so you a winning season in the NBA, you unless you unless you have a like a, a young star, right? Like a John Morant or, or someone of that ilk who's going to. And I I don't know that we need to have a, a whole R.J. Barrett thing on that. Like, can we just agree that, you know, R.J. Barrett is not in that category? Really nice, wonderful player. Love what we're seeing. Love the progress. Deserves all the credit in the world. He's not the guy that like, okay, as long as we have him and he stays on just a normal track, we're fine as a franchise. Like, that's not okay. So, like, unless you have that guy, the good season needs to yield some kind of fruit, whether it's, as we were talking about before, trading for someone at the deadline and then resigning that person as a as a you know big piece or whatever, um, or you you nail the draft, which becomes harder if you win. Obviously, um, I think it, it, you're right. It can it can lead to a situation when you're like, okay, what are you gonna do for me now? Um, in terms of what they are, uh, you know, we saw some some of those like. What was it? Oh, speak of David Fisdale, the Grizzlies teams, right? I actually don't think they were ever that bad on offense under under Fizz. I feel like before Fizz got there, maybe they were like the top five defense and uh, and a bottom five offense. The Knicks are not a top five defense. I think we, I think we, you saw that the other night against uh, Portland. Like Portland had zero issue putting up seventy on them in the first half, right? And there's going to be nights like that. But at the same time, they fought back, and Tibbs, I think, believes that more often than not, the three po- opposing three-point shooting will, will normalize. And by the way, John, to your point, on, on their prior coaches, the Knicks do not make a comeback in that game. They lose no. that game by 30, and they pack it in, and they go home. Oh, yeah, there's no, yeah absolutely. Not. And, that's, and I think that's one of the encouraging signs you take from, from sure. this year. Um, I almost, I, it's interesting. I wonder if, if the, I think if for most fans, Twitter fans or other, otherwise, I feel like if there was real cognizable progress from the young players on this team from now until the end of the year, um, and, and that includes Toppin, I think Toppin's a big part of that because they just drafted the guy eighth overall, um, and they ended up with the seven, sixth worst re- record in the league, seventh worst record in the league, eighth worst record in the league. I think most people would be happy with that, don't you think? 
Yeah, yeah, I don't think you need to be bottom three here. I just think you need a reasonable shot of getting into the top four or five. And I think if you have the sixth or seventh worst records, eighth, whatever, you're, you know, you're, you're, you're in the neighborhood there. That's fine. I think the nightmare scenario is you finish like as the 11th best team in the Eastern Conference and you're picking you're like not even 12. in the playing game. No, of course not. Because it's yeah. the Knicks. Of course you wouldn't be. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I think that's what you're worried about. And, and that can hurt you a little bit because to your point, they don't have the guy yet. As good as Julius Randle is, he's not the guy. He could be your number two guy, maybe, but he's not the guy. I think we're seeing the ceiling of your offense if Julius Randle's your engine. Now, I'm not taking anything away from him. He's been great. He's an all-star. He's playing almost at a 13 wall NBA level. He's been that good. Not taking anything away from the guy. He's fantastic, but he's still not your guy. He's You still need the guy. So you either get the guy in for agency, which, as we see, is really dependent on who's available, which is this offseason now. It's getting slim pickings or you get him through the draft. So that's kind of where my mind is. You mentioned Toppin. Where are you with him? Um, I thought his offensive game would be much more polished than it has been. I admittedly did not watch enough tape on him because I didn't think he'd be there, to be quite honest with you. I don't think anyone did. And I, and, and I watched enough tape of his defense to know I didn't care what he did offensively. I didn't want them to really draft him, to be quite honest with you. Um, but everyone talked about you know how he's NBA ready. His offensive game is great. Let me ask you, John, how does Obi Toppin create his own shot? Um, he doesn't. Um, how do you pick a power forward eighth overall that can't defend and can't create his own shot? Well, here's the thing. So I think he creates his own shot. Here's here, No, I shouldn't say he doesn't. He doesn't right now. Um, I think there is a world where he can because, you know, I, I've been joking on my own podcast uh, frequently uh, that, you know, he's not playing the Fordhams and the Richmonds of the world anymore, where I don't know who was guarding him, but wasn't, you know, but, you know, he, Dayton had some some games against more legitimate competition. And so he wasn't going against, you know, these these puny guys who were going to be bagging groceries um, after college um, all the time. And I think they're the post up game and the and the face up game that he showed is is very real. Um, more post up than, than face up. But I think the path for him, and this is where I get myself into trouble because the idea of, of configuring your team to make it so that he's going to get to play some minutes at the five prominent minutes at the five moving forward. Like if you, people may not like that, but I think that's the path, right? John, I'm with you. That's exactly what I was going to say. I think if he's your five man to roll and pick and pop with four other shooters around him and he's that space player, he can catch it and pass off the pick and roll or catch and shoot or catch and dunk. That's his role. It's not Obi. Here's the ball. Go make a play. It's yep. we run a pick and roll. Then you make a play while you're in motion. And I think that's where it has to be. And when he's on the floor, no one's Noel and no one's covering that guy because he can't do anything offensively. It's hard for him to play that role. I think it's, and the, I just sent out my newsletter today, just as we were coming on, I should say we're recording this on, on a Tuesday morning. Um, because that's how we roll. Um, <laughs> life with kids, boys and girls. I was about to say life with kids. That's, that, that is, <laughs> it was implied there. Um, but it, the numbers with him and Noel on the court together are, you, 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 it, let me put it this way. Children should not look at it without a, an adult in the room uh, being ready to hold their hand. Um, is it that bad? Wow. It's like 90 points per 100 possessions scored. Wow. It's, it's, it's ghastly. Um, but but again, that makes sense, right? Um, because there's there's not like there's some other shot creator there that's helping those lineups out. I mean, the shot creator in those lineups is the rookie you just picked 25th. That's it, right? <laughs> um, so I, I completely agree with you. Um, 
And look, let's also say this. The Stoudemire comparisons were there, you know, um, coming into the draft. That dude made all NBA teams just feed, like getting fed by Steve Nash, right? Mm -hmm. And using his otherworldly athletic ability to convert those. And we've seen Toppin do that a few times. So I think if you're looking for a bright spot on Toppin, you say, okay, he could pass better than I thought. He hasn't been a train wreck on defense. And we've already seen the ability to finish those plays when he gets the opportunity to finish them. It's just the other stuff that it's like, but then, okay, so this is perfect lead into the next thing I wanted to touch on with you. You talked about Randall. Randall's really good. It's, would you t- okay, Kristaps or Randall right now? Your pick on on their current contracts. Who you want? Oh, Randall. It's not close. Oh, I love it. I love it. No, I mean, look, you have to do the way that look and you got to give him credit because, yeah, look, I think his shooting has improved. I'm not sure if it's going to stay that way. And that's fine. That's 34% just, from deep. That's not oh, no, no. crazy. Three point shooting is fine. I'm talking about like that. Deep, oh, the long deep twos. Rangers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is it? Although that's come come down in recent days. But yes, you're right. It has. But no, look, Randall's been great. And I, I don't think his play is unsustainable. I think it's, it's just his whole approach has changed and his pa- his willingness to pass. I like to see turnovers go down a little bit. But look, he's doing this for the first time. You're, you're going to have turnovers and that's fine. Uh, the gravity he creates. Now, if they gave him some help and some more space with maybe a different lineup, which we could talk about, maybe he'd be even better. But Look, I think at this point, Randall's contract's a bargain. Yeah. And, you know, it's funny before the year, we're like, oh, can you get rid of him? Do you trade him to get who, who wants this? Year? Right. Yeah, that was the question. Who wants you, this contract? You have to pay somebody to take him. Right. Yeah. And I think now his contract's a bargain. Like you pick up his option for next year. Oh. Like, 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 like if there was a deadline and you had to decide today to pick up his option, you pick up his option. You don't even That's, think twice about it. Right. It's not even close. It's not close. Um, so that guy is he's good. And, I, you know, fans and I've had to bring it up a few times because you're always, you know, we're again, we're Knicks fans. We're always thinking ahead. Um, like, do you trade him? Do you look what? No, he's you. You hold on to this guy for right now. Um, you just drafted Toppin. OK, great. Um, RJ Barrett, the, sh- the shooting is is hopefully coming along. Um, never going to be a Dame Willard at the at the at the wing. Let's let's just throw that out there or, or whoever you want. Yeah, Paul George, let's say, um, my God, that guy's hitting still, I think, about 50 percent from three. Anyway, is he really? Wow. It's insane. Starts of the year. He's, he's been really good. Uh, regular season P, I guess, is the is the name. <laughs> the game. Um, so if you're if you're looking at upcoming decisions, I think Mitchell Robinson this year. I've been happy with him. I think he's – how, how do you feel about Mitch's play overall? Not perfect, but I feel like I'm more happy than, than not happy with him. I think he's taken a step back in terms of being a shot blocker, but I think that was a necessary part of his progression as an overall defensive player. So his block rate's the lowest it's ever been, but I think that's a good thing because he's fouling less. And I think he's kind of in the process, John, of finding that balance between being that disciplined defender, that Tom Thibodeau is trying to get into his head and being a premier shot blocker. And I think the more he does it, the more he'll find that balance. And I think eventually he'll get back to blocking more shots without fouling. But I think he necessarily, it's kind of like Daniel Jones this year, right? He needed to take a step back (laughs) to not turn the ball over as much, even if it means fewer big plays, because the turnovers are worse. The fouls were worse than the fouls are more harmful than the blocks are helpful, right? 
So yeah. he has to cut down on the block shots a little bit to prevent the fouls. And then as he learns how to do that more consistently, more naturally, where he doesn't have to try not to foul, that's when the block shots will come back. So, yeah, I think it's been a really good season for him. It's a big part of his progression. And I think you have to be happy with it. No question. I, I agree. Um, so, OK, we're 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 happy with Mitch. Um his he th- now they could keep him on a very cheap deal for next year and then he becomes an unrestricted free agent, which I think is something people have assumed like, oh, they're never going to let that happen. Mm-hmm. I wonder at this point if like, hey, you know what? Let's just maybe go ahead and pay the guy the one point five or two million dollars next year. And then we'll see what happens after that um, with the thinking being like you um, trying to think of the. Oh, here's a, another football comparison. Running backs, right? Let's just draft the running back. Get him on his cheap deal. Is that what the center is in the NBA now? The the the, the running back equivalent. I don't. Yeah, it's, it's in, unless you get a Jokic or a you know one of these guys, right? It's hard, man. I mean, I'm not going to say centers are a dime a dozen. I'm not ones that can be all defensive team type players, which I think Mitch still can be and is getting closer. Now, look, he's never going to be because he plays in a league with Rudy Gobert and Joel Embiid. So that's probably never going to happen until those guys either drop off or whatever. But look, he's he's good and. But do you ever pay that guy close to, you know, max money? I mean, I think Oof. no. I mean, I think like an 18 million, you know, so, Julius Randle range. Right. So that's the thing. I was actually I was watching some of the Pacers game last night. Um, they're playing the Raptors and there's Miles Turner, who's making 18 million dollars a year. Right. A contract with which, if you believe what was reported, Danny Ainge could have just taken on and was like, no, I'm good. I'd, I'd rather not pay my center $18 million. And I'm watching Miles Turner and he, you know, he blocks his shots. Um, so bonus went out early in that game. They still won. Turner was doing everything, you know, defensively down low. He was making a little, made a little baby hook shot. He can make a three. That dude's making 18 million. And it's not looked at as like some crazy good contract. No. Now I look at Mitch. I'm like, okay. He doesn't do anything else. And look, I've been a Mitch fan. You know, I've been a Mitch fan. Yeah, me too. Still a Mitch fan for what he is. But we have to start to acknowledge like, okay, this is this is what he is. Maybe improves defensively. And like, that's a guy that I'm not sure. Forget about 18. I'm like, you know, is he a is he a 10 million dollar a year player? Ideally at this level. And I'm not even sure I know the answer to that question. Not yet. And that's why maybe you let him get the unrestricted free agency. I mean, if, if you decide that you're willing to pay him a substantial amount, don't pay him before you have to, because you're going to get the, because you're going to have your bird rights on him anyway, and you can, and you can match whatever teams are going to throw at him and you can keep him right. Not technically match, but you know what I mean? You, 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 you can go over the cap to sign him. So, yeah, I think Mitch is a tough one. Uh, look, that's why people that were you know losing their minds about how could you trade Mitchell Robinson to move up in this draft? And I'm like, guys, you know what? I hate to tell you if they really think, and I'm, this was not my opinion. This was my theoretical. If they really think LaMelo Ball is like the guy and is going to be like a star point guard in this league and it costs you Mitchell Robinson, adios. I mean, see ya. Sorry. I mean, the position's just so much more important that you have to make a deal that way. And I like Mitch too. I think he, I think he's a really good defensive player. I think he helps the team win games. But um, look, you get to this offseason, maybe Mitch gets packaged in a trade with somebody and, and you get another wing. Because John, that, look, this team needs another multifaceted wing that can shoot, score, and create their own shot. That's what they need. Assuming they're, they're going to roll with quickly as the point guard, that's what they need. They need an R.J. Barrett that can shoot. That's what they need, okay? <laughs> to match with him and, and to you get have one of those lying around somewhere. And by the way, I think you kind of need a center that can shoot if you're going to play 
Julius Randle and R.J. Barrett together. Can you play those guys together and have a good offense if your center can't stretch the floor? I don't I, know if you can. Let's be honest. I think you so. Three non-shooters? If the, yeah, we're, we're obviously we're not even talking about Alfred Payton because I think both me and you were of the opinion it's a it's just a matter of, I, I think he's going to continue to start games, actually. I, but, you know, we're, we're, we're assuming they eventually get a point guard who could make shots, right? The fact that you waited this long to mention his name during this podcast what, what, what is, is actually... It? We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Minor miracle. What is there to say at this point? I mean, like literally, what is there to say about Alfred Payton? I don't. We, we all see it every night. It's tip season. He's not stupid. I just, you know, I, I just don't think he wants to start a rookie who's, you know, not really playing a position he's comfortable with. But whatever. We don't have to talk about that. Um, I said his name. That was enough. But no, I, I, I agree with you. They need to figure out a way to get more spacing on the floor. It's why I brought up Mitch, and it's why I'm, I, I want to talk about Toppin in that context, because all this stuff fits together. It's been, I'm not saying the last year has been easy for Leon Rose, but now's the tough part. Because now you have to take this interesting collection of guys who some of, you know, good stuff has been happening and you have to turn it into a basketball team. Because um, if you want to compete for a championship, forget about compete for a championship. Let me take that back. If you want to act like you're on the road to competing for a championship, you got to have a path to a top 10 offense. And that path is, doesn't exist right now. So um, I'm, I'm as curious to see what they do as anyone. Um, let's, let's end here. Between now and the trade deadline, is there one like do you do you want them to go out and make a particular type of move? Is there a name you have on your mind? Like what what are your what do you think in between now and then? It's a good question. Um, there is not, and I it's maybe I don't have a great feel yet for exactly where these teams are in terms of like what they're trying to do and, and like what teams are willing to give up. Like are the wizards willing to give up, right? Are they, are they going to concede that they're not going to make the playoffs? I mean, they played so few games. I wouldn't if I were them and they still have Beal and Westbrook and Bertans and all those guys, you know, what teams are willing to throw in the towel here? Uh, I do think you need to turn that $18 million of cast base into something, whether it's a player down the road or I'm probably still more on the on the line of picking up another future draft pick. Even if you're not making the pick, you can use it in a trade to, to send somewhere else. I don't know if you're finding a one somewhere. I think that can be pretty hard unless there's a team that, you know, an owner out there that just wants to save some money. And without you know, giving up Randall, I'm trying to think who's who like Burks 
Burks for bad money and a one and a late one. It could do it. Who's but where's that? You know, it's like you you look. I've trust me. I've looked around the league and it's there's not an obvious fit anywhere. I mean, Miami, maybe if they're trying to get rid of some money for the offseason, like, you know, something like that. But no, I'm with you. I, I think it's really hard to find. So I think, look, I think that's why the what I our first question that we talked about, right, was how good Leon Rose's signings have been in the front office. I think this is why you hire those guys, right? Brock Aller should have a, you know, spreadsheet on a whiteboard on his wall or on his computer that lists all the potential assets that they could acquire with that money. I'm sure he knew what the assets were this offseason before he even decided not to spend that money in free agency. So go after those guys whether it's to improve the team down the road and, and even help the team to close the season this year, you know, as a unintended consequence, or it's another draft pick. Any of those ideas are fine because look, John, here's the thing too. Like if you get another draft pick down the road, even a couple twos, right. You know, the Knicks are sitting there this year. You're probably gonna have as bad as Charlotte and Detroit are. You're probably gonna have four picks in the top 40, right. Give or take. I, well, three, like in the t- three in the top 30, Two or three, because I, I I watched the I know the Pistons won last night against the Sixers. I watched some of the game. They're not a good basketball team. They're they're gonna be bad. So look, if you get another future pick and then you have all those picks, even if you wind up with the ninth pick in the draft, I think you have so many young guys already. That's when you can really start having a conversation about consolidating picks and make it a swing and move it into the top five. So that's where those assets come in, not to just pick another guy at twenty seven or whatever. I don't care about that at this point. But you can combine those picks to move up to get that premium player, which I still think is the goal here. And I think this is where I'll leave you, John. Every move the Knicks make, and this has been the case for the last two or three years, even when they had Porzingis, because he was never going to be a one. He was at best going to be a two, maybe a three. And frankly, that's what I think R.J. Barrett is too. I think Barrett's most likely career trajectory is a good all-around player that can do a little bit of everything, Never is a great shooter, but maybe can become a competent league average catch and shoot guy. And he's your third best player on a good team. But I don't think he's ever going to be a guy that you're running your offense through down the stretch of a game. You need a basket down too late. I mean, they saw we saw they try that against um, oh, which team was it? I, I know the game you're talking about. It's I, I can't think of it either. And, and he was literally stripped by a power forward and a center on two consecutive possessions. And you sit there and you're like, look, I know he's young. I was about to say, That's I'm going to get I'm going to get slings and arrows coming at me if we don't put out the. we know he's 20. Yes. We get, it's it's but you, you know it when you see it in the NBA. Yes. And I just like there, there's I'm not saying he can't be very, very, very good. Look, John, by the way, it. if he ends up being a player that averages 18 points, seven it's, and a half rebounds and five assists and 45 percent from the field. That's awesome. pretty good. I mean, yeah. there are a lot of third draft picks that are third, third overall picks that are like out of the league in five, six years. It, look, the NBA drafts is tough. It's a really tough thing. Yeah. So that's fine. But that still means you got to find your one and your two. So every move the Knicks make has to have that in the back of their head. Does this move make it more likely for me to be able to acquire that number one or number two guy that you need, whether it's to pair a Julius Randle or not, to take that next step? And you know what? Maybe you get to the point in order to get that one, maybe Randle has to be part of a trade. And if that's the case, okay. If you're trading Randle, but you're getting back a number one, that's fine. You're not trading Randall for like a, the, the 22nd pick in the draft, but if he's a package for like a Bradley Beal, just to throw a random name out there, who we you know, and again, he averages 35 points a game, but the team never wins. How good is he? But 
You understand my point. If you're no. trading him with other assets for a better player, sure. But that's what every move the Knicks have to make has to revolve around. Are you either collecting assets or putting yourself in a better position to find a superstar, whether it's in the draft, free agency, or in a trade? Any of those avenues at this point can work. And I think that's what they have to do. And look, if anybody understands it's a star-based league, John, it's the guy that ran CAA. I mean, who else would understand it better than that? In order to win in this league, you need not one, not two, probably more like two and a half all-star caliber players on your roster, if not three. All right. That's just the way it is. Unless you have, you know, two of the top five players in the league, like LeBron and Anthony Davis, and nobody's going to have that. You need about three guys that are all-star caliber on your team in order to make a run here. So that's what the goal has to be. You know, don't just improve at the margins for the chance to get the 10th the, the seed with some guy that's okay. You know, that's how I look at it. That's what they need to do. I wish I had a better idea for names. I just don't see any obvious targets out there right now. But it's the NBA. The good thing, one player gets this, you know, one player gets mad and gets disgruntled, and it can happen at any time. Anything can happen, my friend. It, it, it is it is the most gruntled league in the league <laughs> in, in, in the world. Um, John, it, it really is always a pleasure to talk to you because you're just, you're, we, we think so much alike on so many things. So it's like, you know, it's, it's, it's great. And you always uh, shed light on stuff that uh, I honestly don't always think about. So, and we didn't uh, talk about Frank. On. That's a miracle too. No, no Frank Nielakina oh talk gosh. today, John, the, the bingo card you remains want- unfilled. I feel like I feel like I should have I, if there's a beer bottle with some left in the bottom, I would pour pour one out right now. For Now, by the way, are, are you still a, a property owner on, on Neil Keene Island or, or have you completely sold all your all your property? Are you out? I don't even know. How to, I don't even know how to answer that question anymore because I just I, I'm convinced he's not going to get the chance here. So does that make me this? Am I like now? Is there like a, a some some kind of uh, what, what do they put the sticker on your your house when you're, it's no longer fit to live in? Maybe that's what they've done. <laughs> They've come and put the sticker on my house like, yes, you have the house here, but you can't live in it anymore because you. Yeah. But I'm 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 I, I'm not going to say I'm convinced he's played his last minute for the for the Knicks, but I'm I, I'm I wouldn't shock me. if. That well, here's the thing. Austin Rivers and Reggie Bullock are always hurt. Like, you know, honestly, like 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 all, all jokes aside. And so is Alfred Payton, by the way, like that Alfred Payton injury can't be that far away at this point. It's coming. And, and again, this isn't me rooting for injuries. This is just facts. You look back. Reggie Bullock's hurt all the time. Alfred Payne's hurt all the time and Austin Rivers, not as much, but he's had some injury issues this year too. One or two of those guys go out. Then the door opens all of a sudden and all the guy needs to do is hit catch and shoot threes. If he can do that, that's all he needs to do to be an effective player. And he was doing it to start the year. So, and and that's why I'm still on his Island as a, uh, as a guy who could be a good NBA player. I just think I have a funny, and I mean, look, you never, never say never. Because who knows? All it takes is again an injury. He comes in, he looks the part for a couple of weeks, and all of a sudden the brass is like, you know what? We really need to try to keep this guy around. I just think as of right now, I have a feeling his camp wants to get out of town, and I have a feeling like the Knicks are like, well, we're not going to beg you to try to, you know. I think that's where things are. But, and by the way, I think Tibbs actually does like the kid. I don't I think, think he does too. Likes him. I really don't. Absolutely. I just think he thinks that these other guys right now are probably a little bit better. I think that's how he looks at it. And you know what? Maybe he's not wrong. No, he might not be wrong. You know, it is what it is. Um, 
Frank Island. We had to talk. We had to talk about Frank Island. Good, goodness gracious. Um, John, can you please tell the folks at home for anybody who, for some reason, does not know where to find you and your stuff, where they can find you and your stuff? Yes, you can follow me on Twitter at Schmelk. Shockingly, nobody else had the username. S C H M two E's L K. You can also find my written work at WFN.com and the Bank Shot, my Knicks podcast, which is at Radio.com, WFN.com, all your favorite podcast platforms. And if you're a Giant fan out there, uh, you can also check out all of my stuff on Giants.com. The Senior Bowls this week, which is not being televised on NFL Network apparently, so I'm gonna have to you know lift mountains to try to find some tape of that to write articles off of it, which I think I found by the way. So. Make sure you check that out. And if, and if you need podcasts on the Giants, we have our Giants Podcast Network. Uh, you can find it again, all your favorite podcast platforms, the Giants mobile app, and at Giants.com slash podcast. Our daily live show is Big Blue Kickoff Live every day at noon, full hour. We take phone calls, talk Giants with you. So make sure you guys go out there and check it out. Uh, la- very last thing, uh, Super yes. Bowl pick. I, I can't pick against Patrick Mahomes. I can't. Um, I, I wanted Strong to pick man. the Bills to upset them, but I can't. Um, I look, you got to give Brady credit. I'm not a Tom Brady hater. He's an awesome player. So to me, but I think Patrick Holmes makes enough plays. I still don't trust that Tampa defense. Say what you want. The Packers moved the ball up and down the field all day on them last week. They just did. And I think the Chiefs Rogers the wasn't Roger, Rogers wasn't great when it counted. No, he wasn't. And look, that interception before the half and then that pass over the top is what lost the game. Talk about the fourth down decision at the end, all that stuff. That's fine. It was that play right before the first half ended that lost that game for Green Bay. It was the interception and the deep pass. So um, how about this? I'll give you a score even. Give me Chiefs 34-27. Tom Brady will tie the game late. And then Patrick Mahomes will go down and win the game for the Chiefs. How about that? I want an entertaining Super Bowl Sunday, so I'm going to root for that. Uh, John, this is great. Um, Everybody, uh, stick around one sec. Everybody out there, uh, thanks for listening to another episode of the Knicks Film School Podcast. We'll be back with you with another one very soon. 